0: Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. This week we are going to head into part two of Noah's Ark, or Noah and the Flood, and wrap up this truly amazing and sobering account. If you have not already listened to part one, I would strongly encourage you to do so before you listen to this part two, as it will only serve to confuse you to go in reverse. And we left off with the warning that God has left us in his word, that it will be like the days of Noah, and then Christ will return. Unfortunately, I have heard entirely too many people state, quote, we are definitely in the end times because of the way things are going. And admittedly, I personally find that to be such an ignorant and arrogant comment to even utter. As we looked at last week in part one, we have no clue when the last day is, despite the fact that God says, when it is like the days of Noah, I will return. We have no clue, however, what it was like in the days of Noah. Absolutely no clue. So, how does this relate to Noah and the flood? Because we forget so quickly what God asked us to do as believers, we get wrapped up in wasting our time focusing on and discussing irrelevant things. God never asked us to discuss a potential for his return as if we somehow have a backdoor and personal inside knowledge from God's press secretary. It is completely arrogant and can only serve one purpose to pursue those comments and that of having people look at us as understanding and oh so wise and oh so close to God. God did, however, ask us to be spreading the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ so that when he does return, we and others will be ready to go home and that's it. And we see Noah was a great leader in that area for us, a great role model. God asked Noah to go and spread the good news about his relationship with God, what he knew to be true and life changing and life saving. And while Noah was telling the world about God, God then requested that Noah build an ark. As we discussed last week, yes, a very bizarre request, mind bending, in fact, something that likely may not have even made any good sense to even Noah. Remember, just because you are asked to do something by God does not mean you are understanding of it and precisely why God calls us to believe by faith. Admittedly, if I think too long and too hard about the total aspect of salvation and God and Jesus dying and the cosmos and creation, etc., I too really struggle comprehending any piece of it. It is just too immense to fathom, so I take it on faith. Keep in mind, God didn't take Noah aside and send rain down in the spot where he was standing and let a little pool of water build up around his feet to give him an idea of what it would be like. No, Noah did not get any sneak preview. Noah simply heard God's request, trusted that he knew what he was doing, and by faith listened and followed through. Noah persevered, and for a long time at that. Noah put faith in the process and request for a very long time about 100 years of perseverance and obedience. Isn't that an awesome encouragement? After all, most of us won't even live out our entire life to 100 years. On average, we only get 75 to 80 years at the very best, and we have a hard time persevering through one day of that short existence. This account and testimony of Noah is so packed with warnings and encouragement for us today, a model of how we are to live our faith out before the world for God and persevere in obedience. Consider that the physical flood is such a minuscule part of this for the believer, however. Why do I say that? Because we will not be caught in the next, quote, flood, the flood of fire that will destroy the earth. That's just not for us. It's nothing to do with us, just as the flood in the time of Noah had nothing to do with he and his family. It was rather a time to focus on everyone who did not believe and know what Noah and his family knew and to make sure they gave away freely all they could about what was to come. So the believer will escape the fiery end, just as the eight believers escaped the flood. We will, however, not escape the judgment that God will dump in our laps on why we were telling people what he never asked us to tell them and not telling them what he did ask us to tell them. Let's look back at Genesis 6:22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded. No extra commentary, no extra wood, because he thought the boat might not be strong enough. No extra food, no extra animals, no extra nails. No CAD drawings to make it sleeker, and get this, no extra people. Remarkably, We don't see Noah or his family members attempting to bring anyone else on board. Look carefully. We don't even hear of Noah asking God to please let him bring a few friends and neighbors with them because they had talked about God and they showed interest in having a relationship with God and after all, they lived next door. We can't just leave them out there in the rain like that, God. And just like today, I would be quite certain there were people who were close, quote, and interested in following God that they simply had not done anything about it. And why? Because they were truly not concerned or interested about that relationship. Keep in mind, when you are not pursuing God, you are pursuing other gods. You're never not pursuing something. How do you know that? Because God put everyone who did believe and did trust in him on that boat, all those who pursued him. Isn't this more evidence that we are not to be bombarding harassing, and beating people over the head with God, with Jesus, with salvation. Simply spread the word of God and live your life according to what God asked you to do. No more, no less. On faith, and faith alone, and persevering. The flood was death. The ark was life. As it was for Jonah, the sea was death. The fish was life. In both Noah and Jonah's case, God provided the means by which they would be saved. And hasn't God done that for everyone who believes by faith in him? He has provided so many fish in each of our lives to spare us from our stubbornness and waywardness and boats to remove us from the corruption and violence. God is there to make a way out for you if you know him as Lord and God and trust in him by faith. You will not be caught in the flood or the fire. Noah was not afraid of the flood because he knew it would not affect him. Noah knew the waters that would cover the earth weren't meant for him and his family. But isn't it interesting that even though God provided a way out for Noah and his family, that boat that would be used to save them, Noah had to build personally. Noah had to make his own life-saving device, if you will. Notice God did not say to Noah, Hey Noah, you're a great guy. You love me. You follow me. You tell people about me. And so I'm going to send down a life raft for you and your family and the animals I want to save. So next Thursday, you'll see a boat come out of heaven. Try not to be in the way. It's pretty big. And when it lands, get on board. I think it's crazy to think that Jonah was completely ignoring God and did everything in contrast to Noah. And God sent Jonah, a pre-made vessel in the form of a fish, but poor Noah, who was following God and being obedient, had to sweat it out for a hundred years, building his own raft. Why? Why would God do that? It seems unfair. Seems as though it should have been the other way around. But it is very fair and quite logical. After all, who had it far better and far easier in the end, Jonah or Noah? Who was dry, comfortable, had food, and wasn't living in fear? Which of those two people slept well at night knowing the outcome at the end of the journey? Who was begging and pleading with God to save him while the others were thanking God for being saved? And I believe the building of that ark is a beautiful example of what God so desires of us in our lives today. God never said, I will give you everything handed down to you on a silver platter to float you through life with no effort. Quite the contrary. We have been told again and again, we will be bombarded with struggles and trials and tribulation. The waters will rise and preparations will have to be made to get through those times and God always has the perfect blueprint for us to escape from disaster. And as believers, we are to be following God's instructions to build our life-saving relationship with Him. And that relationship is our vessel, our storm-proof, flood-proof vessel that will float us home in the end. We indeed, in the end, will land safely on the highest point. We will indeed come to rest at the pinnacle of eternal life and safely exit on dry ground in eternal glory. As I see it, we have two options in this life as believers. Building the relationship arc on faith in peace, knowing it is the best way to go, or we can live in violent storms and chaos and being rescued in terror, not knowing if we will ever make it out alive. Are you tired of being vomited up on shore after being carted around in the gut of a fish? Or would you prefer to be secure, safe and confident in God and exit on dry ground following his directions. Life is not what we expect, and often not what we want. Most of us, if not all of us, don't feel we are put on this earth to spend a hundred years building something, and especially something we don't have a say in. And bigger than all that, more than likely being persecuted for doing it. Again, if it's too much for you, you can always go the route of Jonah. Don't forget, Daniel too was put in a, quote, box with a, quote, storm, a storm of lions, and all because he trusted God on faith and followed God's directions that he would not be harmed. Isn't it great how God shows his love and mercy on each of us in our own unique ways? Each one of us gets a slightly different treatment that suits our temperament and situation best. God knows exactly what it is that we need in order to grow. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Are you living on faith? Are you taking the plans God gave you and following the directions exactly as he has given them to you? If you are, and if you do, you will float above the storm and end on the highest heights. I hope this two-part series on Noah and the Flood has given you a new perspective that this is yet another example of God's Word being so much more than stories that can be cleaned up and turned into some Disney adventure where everyone lives happily ever after. But before we conclude, I want to bring a perspective on the awesomeness of the ark itself as a structure and what Noah built according to God's blueprints and also how it is such a major distraction for us. And I mention this in our conclusion because just as we began with the Nephilim creating a major distraction from what we really need to hear in this account, so is the design of this boat God told Noah to build. Once again, scholars have spent endless hours debating its exact shape, and did it have a point at the front, or was it just a rectangle, and on and on. So in brief, the rough dimensions are once converted from cubits to feet. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. That is roughly the equivalent to the ark standing on end being the height of a 33-story building. And with the ark sitting horizontal as it would float would be the height of a four-story office building. So even at the rough dimensions from converting from cubits to feet, for which we don't have the exact measurements for, is nonetheless exceptionally large. And again, interesting info. After all, that boat was probably half the discussion that kept the roughly 2.5 billion people from ever boarding that boat to escape death. The people in the days of the flood, just like today, were so focused on what they physically saw Noah doing, and base the entire situation on their self-proclaimed logic, intellect, and intelligence. As we now know, this proved to be fatal in the end. And this is exactly why we are not to focus on our intellect and our logic and our intelligence. After all, if anyone remotely possesses those qualities, haven't they only been loaned to you by God and are nothing you could even possess on your own? So, if you have truly received your smarts from God and acknowledge it as only and all from Him, the next step is to acknowledge there are just things in God's Word that don't matter when you die or Christ returns. They are simply more evidence to prove what God is attempting to communicate to you. Whether the ark had a point in front or didn't, whether the sea creature that swallowed Jonah was or was not a whale or some gigantic fish, what Jesus did or didn't look like what heaven will or won't be like. And this list is endless, and they don't matter at all to what is most important. But here's what I do know for a fact. After society and scholars have supposedly figured all this out and tried to convince everyone they have the power to pull it off, nothing of how big or little the ark was will be remotely in our memory when we stand before our Lord and give an account for what we have and have not done in His name while here. I don't know about you, but I would personally be much happier not having spent my life trying to figure out if the ark was a box or a speedboat, and rather having spent my time telling the world about what they do need to know, what they must know in order to enter the ark of heaven, if you will. I truly want to see as many people going through that little door to eternal safety. All we need to know is lots of people died because they understood and believed in themselves and ate, understood. And believed in God. I believe that not even Noah cared what the boat looked like or how it would float or not float. He just trusted that God knew what he was doing and he did it. Isn't this absolutely stunning example of someone to take notice of and learn from? Again, this had nothing to do with a boat. It had, however, everything to do with listening, being obedient, and following God's directions 100%. And the moral of the story? When we do listen to God and not try to figure it all out with our supposed wise minds, and simply say, Yes, Lord, here I am, and I will do just as you asked, we are saved. We get to live. We get to see the newness of life and life eternal. This is the story of Noah and the flood. It has nothing to do with the boat. It has nothing to do with rain or flooding. It has everything to do with obedience following directions and trusting, everything to do with faith. And on the flip side, what happens if you don't have faith and don't do what you were asked to do? The rain and flood were only a simple tool God used to do his work. The boat was another simple tool God used to do his work. God destroyed and God saved. He took life away and he preserved life and all based on who focused or didn't focus on him. Let's stop focusing on the could-haves and the should-haves and the mites and the maybes. That, again, gets people killed. Let's instead start focusing on the is and isn't, will and won't be. It is fun to consider what might have been. I do believe that. It is very much so, but that cannot take up the significant portion of our time. And it is definitely not something to ever argue when it comes to someone's future in this life and death situation we are living in right now. I know or hope to believe that you would never stop and assist someone who had been shot and question them and theorize over why they were shot or how it might have happened or how it shouldn't have. I'm assuming you would not even think about that and simply pour yourself into helping them to stay alive until help arrived. And that is exactly what I believe God expects of believers today. Our job is to care for those and assist those who are bleeding out from not knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior and to assist them for as long as they need or desire assistance until help God arrives to set them free once and for all. No, we did indeed not cover the rainbow, another major component of this account, but I will make that a separate topic in the not so distant future as it is again a message unto itself. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this time in your word. It is truly amazing to see what you have left for us, your living and breathing word of life. Thank you for giving us the big picture and details, but help us to not get so illogical and arrogant and remotely attempt to figure it all out. Help us to take your word as a warning, as a comfort, as a guide on what it is you need us to do and focus on not a time of keeping our head in the clouds and missing your blueprint for our lives. Father, help us to trust you for exactly what you said and grow in our desire to simply follow you and take you at face value. Forgive us for our constant shortcomings as we attempt to be right and argue our points of contention. Forgive us of our stubborn ways of trying to be the one to figure you out so we can be looked up to. Forgive us for not always pointing everything to you, and help us to stop attempting to get the spotlight on us. Thank you in as much for your amazing grace and forgiveness and your mercy in loving us so much that you contend with our arrogance and deficient intellect. Thank you for setting those free who choose to follow you and love you. Give us encouragement and press on us the desire to simply tell the world about what's next and help us to be real and very authentic in how we live our lives in the sight of everyone in humility and boldness. And now we ask all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was, and is, and is to come.